with his notes and read this. And so trying to follow along with him, I don't know what this is going to mean for you guys, but it's going to be entertaining, hopefully, at least. And more than entertaining, I think there's something powerful here. And this whole message is about our hero and our enemy. And I think the enemy really wanted to keep this message from reaching somebody here this morning because he was really trying, whether it was making out sick or trying to frustrate me to the point of not being able to do it. You can ask my wife, yesterday morning was an annoying morning for Jordan. I don't know what it was. I woke up on the wrong side of the bed and then everything I did just went wrong, even to the point where I was trying to spend the first half of my day coming here and studying and preparing And I stepped outside, I checked the weather, and I was like, well, it's warm, it's foggy, but sure, I'm just going to wear a t-shirt over to my office. And as soon as I, you know, took the long trek from the parsonage, and I got to the road and waited for a couple cars to pass, it started pouring rain on me. (laughs) And it was at that point where I kind of just had to stop and laugh and said, you know what? (laughs) I'd already been looking over this, and I thought, clearly Satan doesn't want something from this to get out, and we're not going to let that happen. (laughs) So we're going to pray. We're going to dive into the scriptures, and we're going to see what God has to say to us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. And God, I thank you for pastors like Alex, who put so much effort into making sure your word is divided rightly to give the truth to this church. And so now, God, I pray that you would empower me through your spirit to share our findings to share your truth. God, I pray that it wouldn't be Alex's writings or my findings or my words that are heard this morning, but would be your words. God, we thank you that you give us victory over the enemy. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read our passage together. We're going through the book of Matthew. This series that we're doing here in this year to start out is all about the kingdom of God. And we're going through the book of Matthew together. We find ourselves now partway through chapter 2, starting in verse 13. So I'm going to read our passage for us, and then we'll dive into it together. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that, there was, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This morning's message is titled, The Serpent Slayer. And no, that's not an 80s hair metal band. That is a much deeper and powerful title for our Savior. 
See, every story needs a good hero and a good, not good, but an enemy, right? From really great ones to even unassuming ones. Like in Star Wars, we had Luke Skywalker. For comic books, we have Superman, right? Or even most unassuming heroes like little Bambi, (laughs) the deer, right? Who helped save his little forest. But all those stories also have an enemy. You have Darth Vader, right? You have, who did I say next? Oh, you have Lex Luthor. You have the guy that shot Bambi's mom. There's an enemy. <laughs> that's, that's the villain. I had, to, I had to look this back up. I thought he had a name. No, he's literally just called Man. So the enemy in that is Man. And boy, that's saying something. But there's always an enemy too. And this passage, I love this story. I love where this is leading. And I love this title. Because it points us where we're at in Matthew to at this point what seems like an unassuming hero. We find Jesus was not born in a way that looked like a grand hero would come. I mean, sure, Superman, a lot of people try to make the Superman and Jesus cross-reference if you actually like look into, if you like comic book stuff. But Superman didn't show up the same. He came as a baby, but he was an alien who showed up in a pod and was found by these people. Jesus was just born of a teenage girl and a carpenter in a feeding trough in what was most likely a cave out behind an inn. (laughs) And then at this point, when even the wise men, like the story last week we talked about, when they found him, he was just in a small, unassuming house there in Bethlehem. This isn't the kind of person we would expect to be our hero. And yet he is the serpent slayer. Matthew, up to this point, has introduced us to Jesus as a few other titles. He's given us Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Son of David, Jesus the Son of Abraham, Jesus Emmanuel, Jesus the King, and now Jesus the Serpent Slayer. So where does that term Serpent Slayer come from? So one of my favorite things to do, and actually what I'm doing with our youth group here on Wednesday nights, is to go through the Bible, hitting as many of the stories as I can with time, starting with the Old Testament, starting at creation and following through the major plot line of a savior. And see, this idea of a serpent slayer comes all the way from the beginning. Do you remember back in Genesis 3 at the fall of mankind, Adam and Eve sinned. They listened to who? The serpent. And God comes and he curses all three of them. He curses the man, he curses the woman, and then he curses, well, he actually starts out by cursing the serpent. But there's a great prophecy during the serpent's cursing. While God's talking to him, he says that you, that that there will be an offspring of the woman. There will be enmity between you. You will bruise, or he will crush your head, and you will bruise his heel. There's a prophecy way at the beginning of the Bible where God is talking to the serpent, talking to the enemy, and he says that one day there's going to come someone from the woman. An offspring of the woman that is going to crush the serpent. So what we do from that point on, if we were to read the Bible for the first time, imagine this, right? Imagine one of the kids in Uganda that's going to go to the school. Maybe they've never read a Bible before. Maybe they start with Genesis. This is your plot line. You hear this prophecy. We know the enemy at this point. It is Satan. It's the serpent. And then we find out there's going to be a serpent crusher. Someone's going to come who's going to crush the serpent. Who's it going to be? Immediately, Adam and Eve have two kids. She has two boys. All right, it's got to be one of them, right? Well, then the oldest one, who we'd expect automatically to be the hero, commits murder against the other son. 
So the younger son is dead, and it can't be the first son because he just committed murder. And you keep going through and down the line as we follow these biblical heroes until we get to this baby, Jesus, the actual serpent slayer. And that prophecy was fulfilled when Jesus defeated Satan at the cross, right? When he died on the cross, all of Satan's plans, all the things that he wanted to do to you and to me, were defeated. In Colossians 2, 14-15, it talks about this. It says, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. I love this visual, and I want you to keep this as we go through this sermon. What they're talking about there is the Romans would take, when they would crucify someone, they would take a note, and it was a note of debts, that once that person was crucified and dead, they would take it and they would nail that notice of debt to the cross, basically saying, hey, well, this person's dead, so their debts are now covered. Their debts are over. And what happened when Jesus died on the cross was he didn't have any debts, did he, church? Had Jesus sinned? Did he deserve that death? No, he died for us. And so our debt notice was placed on his cross. And he defeated Satan right there on the cross. It's ultimate defeat. The war is over. It's already won. And yet, as even our scripture passage talked about, Satan is still working. He's still at work in the earth today, right? What does 1 Peter 5, 8 say? It'll be on the screen as well. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Is he going to be victorious in the end? No. Like Michael said earlier, God gave us the ending. We already know. And his defeat was already settled on the cross and through the resurrection. But Satan's still here. By the way, just make sure we have a little bit of this theology correct here. Satan is not in hell. Make sure we know that, right? Satan is not in hell. He's not the ruler of hell. He's terrified of hell. He hates hell because it's his ultimate destination. Satan is here. He's on earth. He's walking around seeking someone to devour, to destroy, to distract from a life lived for Christ. And like Michael even read at the very end of the Scripture passage in Revelation, it says this, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But listen, woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Satan's not stupid. He knows that his time here on earth is short. So what we get in this passage is a lot of information about our enemy, the serpent, but we also get some blessed information and hope coming from the hero, our serpent slayer, Jesus. The main idea that we want you to take away from today is this, and these are the first bullet points there in your bulletin. Jesus is the promised son who defeats the serpent and gives us the victory. It's Jesus. It's not you and me, praise God. (laughs) It's not any televangelist. It's not any superhero. It's Jesus. He gets the victory. But that does still raise a question based on what we said, and this is also the main question we will look at this morning. How does the serpent still work in our world today, and what hope do we have? So if Satan is still here, and the Bible says that he is, And it even uses some pretty scary terminology. 
Woe to you on earth. He's like a lion seeking someone to devour. So if he's here, how does he work? And what hope do we have? So let's look at this together. Look quickly with me again as we look at this first section of verses back in Matthew 2. It says, When they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. I'm going to pause right there for a minute. Herod was under the serpent's deception. And this is what Satan wants. He wants to deceive. What's one of the most famous titles that Satan is given? He's the father of lies. You can go ask a lost person on the street and they probably heard that before, right? He's the father of lies. It's what he's best at. It's how he gets us to commit the sins that we do because he weasels his way into our mind and into our conscience and into our heart and he tells us these lies and we end up believing him over God. In fact, that's exactly what he did at the very start. It's what started all of this back in Genesis 3, 1 through 5, right? It'll be on the screen as well. It says, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, Eve is over there by the tree and the serpent slithers to her. And and, uh, the serpent, it says, was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, lost my place there. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said, and lied, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And we know what happened after that, right? Eve gives in. And remember, men, we can't blame the woman. Because the Bible says that she gave the fruit to her husband who was with her. Okay, They were both deceived by the serpent. They gave in. They believed his lie. And they brought disobedience to God's command. And that brought disorder all throughout creation. Death entered the world. Sickness entered the world. All of this happened because they gave in to his deception. And this is the same kind of deception that we see Herod using. Don't miss this. Herod is doing the exact same things under the influence of the serpent. Look what we talked about last week in Matthew 2, verses 7 and 8. With the wise men, it says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. That sounds nice, doesn't it? (laughs) That's nice. That's nice, Herod. Right? I want to go and worship him. But is that the kind of man that Herod was? No. History tells us that Herod was actually so scared of losing his own power that he murdered multiple of his own children, and his own wife, one of his wives, was killed in his pursuit of power as well. He didn't want to worship Jesus. He's using the same kind of deception because he's under the influence of the serpent. And through doing this, he's wanting to bring about more disobedience, more disorder. But listen, what did our passage say? When Herod's trying to deceive them, does God just let it happen? No, he saves his people. He sends another vision, another message to Joseph saying, hey, Herod is going to do this. You need to go and flee to Egypt and wait there so that your son remains safe. 
Church, I want you to hear this, that God sees through Herod's deception and protects his people. The world is full of deception, and it can be really easy for us to get discouraged when we look at the many lies that are told around us and think, is God really in control? Is he really winning? Because I just feel like there's lies and deceptions all around me. Well, church, I want to promise you that he is. Satan might be the father of lies, but who created him in the first place? God is in control, but I also want to take this in a more personal route here too. God sees through our personal deceptions too. For instance, it's very easy for us here in the Bible Belt to be hypocritical in our thoughts and in our actions. We love to lie to ourselves, don't we? We love to try to lie to other people and sometimes even to ourselves and say, yep, I made it to church. Man, it was raining today, but I came, to, I came to church still. So I must be a really good Christian. I know all the right words. I've memorized so many Bible verses. I knew all the words to that hymn this morning. I must be a really good follower of Jesus. We can lie to ourselves, but we can't lie to God. He can see through all of those deceptions. But it's not just in our lives. The serpent still works in filling our world with deception today. Think about some of these examples of deception that Satan has filled our world with. The serpent deceives people today into thinking that abortion isn't murder, it's just reproductive rights. Right? The serpent deceives people today into thinking that any expression of sexuality and sexual orientation is acceptable to God. That's what people try to tell you today. Not that it's just okay, but that even God accepts it. The serpent deceives people, this is one of my least favorite ones, into thinking that your teenage years don't matter, that you can live however you want and turn it around when you grow up. I've heard that way too many times in my over a decade of youth ministry, right? The serpent deceives people today into thinking that everybody is going to heaven regardless of what they believe and what they do and what they love. The serpent's deception is alive and well, isn't it, church? And what's the end goal of this deception. Why is Satan doing this? If he's going to lose, what's his point? Why does he keep doing this? Here's the next point in your bulletin. It's this. The goal of the serpent's deception is disobedience and disorder. That's what he wants. Is he going to stop God from winning? No. But he wants to do everything he can to cause disobedience and disorder. You want to know what Satan was trying to do to me yesterday morning? (laughs) He was trying to cause disorder in my life and made me grumpy at my wonderful wife, (laughs) right? Which made me disobey God by not treating her as nicely as I should. It caused disorder as I tried to walk over here to study the Bible and my thoughts were in a million places. Everywhere in the world, Satan is trying to do that. And we as humans... We all struggle with it. We're all disobedient every single day, aren't we? We we all see disorder happen in our own lives and in the lives of those around us because of sin. So we're seemingly left with a hopeless situation. God tells us that we're supposed to be holy like he is holy. But then we look at him and say, well, God, I'm not. I'm sinful. I've been deceived. I disobey. I see disorder happening in my life, which is why he sends us Jesus to break that cycle, to be the one that never listens to Satan's deception. Because every time that we are deceived by Satan, we can be reminded of the times that Jesus wasn't. In fact, in just a few weeks, we're going to hear a message about Jesus when he is tempted by Satan. 
when this very serpent goes to Jesus and brings these deceptions that he tempts us with straight to Jesus. And we see that Jesus defeats him every time. He's the one that we place our hope in. So, they escape him, and the family flees to Egypt to escape Herod. But notice then what the Bible says. I thought this was really cool. I'd never even really thought about this too much. We, we tend to speed through the Christmas story, sadly, right? We read it every year. And so we miss out on some of the depth of this, and I thought this was so cool. It says, And they remained there in Egypt until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my Son. The very first time someone in Scripture is called the Son of God is actually Israel. It's the people of Israel in the book of Exodus. In Exodus 4.22, it should be up there on the screen. It said, Israel is my firstborn son. But was Israel an obedient son to God? No. Israel was the most disobedient child, right? Uh, any parents, can you relate that your, your kid, no matter what you do, uh, just keeps disobeying you? Anybody? No? Perfect children? Y'all are laughing. Okay. Uh, but even if you have a really good kid, they still will disobey you. I like to think Daniel's a pretty good kid, but even last night, um, we tried to ask him to do something, and oh, he loves the word no. That, that two to three year old, right? And he's gotten that little attitude, that bite behind it now, right? Daniel, you can't go that way. No. I'm like, where did that goblin voice come from? <laughs> We're good at that, right? These children were good at being disobedient, and God's first son, Israel, was disobedient. Even after he rescued them from Egypt, they were disobedient. By the time you get to the book of Hosea, that prophet, Israel had been gone, they'd been taken out into captivity, and they continue to be disobedient. They continue to worship other gods. And God actually uses really harsh language when he talks about how he feels about Israel worshiping other gods and disobedience. He says that they have played the whore. Whew. Okay, God. <laughs> but he means it. And he even gives a very personal representation of this, where he goes to this man, Hosea the prophet, and uses him as an illustration. He says, Hosea, I want you to go and find and marry a prostitute named Gomer, who goes and she plays the whore herself. And so Hosea goes and he finds Gomer and he marries her. But then what does Gomer do after a while? She ends up leaving him. She runs away, abandons him, and goes back into her other way of living. And at first, we don't know how long passes, but Hosea, I can only imagine Hosea's like, all right, well, I did it, God. (laughs) So what was the point of that? But then God goes to him again and says, I want you to go back to her again. Buy her back and love her anyway. Because that's how God loves his people. That every time we run away from him, every time we fall for the serpent's deception, he comes back for us. And he still loves us and he forgives us. And this is when he gave that prophecy in Hosea 11.1. When Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt I called my son. He was talking about that he took them out of Egypt, but then they go and they disobey him and they continue to, but there was going to be another greater and truer son of God who would also be called out of Egypt who would never disobey him who would never be deceived by the serpent. And that is our hero. That is Jesus. And it's his obedience that is key to everything. That next point in your notes is this. 
Jesus' obedience takes the place of our disobedience. Jesus' obedience takes the place of our disobedience. This is one of the main ways that Jesus slays the serpent and gives us the victory. We can't keep God's commandments. We can't break the curse. Sin brought on the curse. And guess what all of us do every single day? We continue it. We keep it going. We keep disobeying. We keep sinning. We can't break the curse. We're disobedient. It, it needed somebody to be perfectly obedient. And that's what Jesus does for us. When Jesus died on that cross, like the illustration said earlier, His notice that the debt had been paid was placed on the cross. And like I said before, that wasn't Jesus's. That was ours. When God looks at the cross, He doesn't look there and see Jesus' sin. No, He became our sin. And so now one day, and this is the, the part of the mystery of the Gospel, that I, I, there's no way we'll ever be able to imagine what this is going to be like. Because I know how sinful my life has been. You know how sinful your life has been. There's sins that I haven't even committed yet that I'm already ashamed that I'm going to do one day. But one day, I'm going to stand before the Father in heaven. And when I do, I don't have to be ashamed anymore. Because when He'll look at me, He won't see my sin. He won't see Jordan's disobedience. You want to know what He's going to see? He's going to see Jesus. He's going to see Jesus' obedience. And this is something that we're, we've been trying, both Alex and I, to get across to us at the church. You should want to do good. We should want to do good works to please the Father. But those are not what save us, church. Those are not what God's going to see when we stand before Him. And praise God for that, because I know that my sins would outweigh my good things. Amen? If we're really honest with ourselves. But that's not what the Father will see. I'll see Jesus' obedience in the place of our disobedience. So maybe you're thinking this morning, my sin is too great. I know that what I've done is too much. Our hope is in the fact that the sinless Savior lived His sinless life for us. That's our hope. So God called His Son out of Egypt to go and live that life and give us the victory. But there's another important fact about our enemy. So let's get back to the enemy. There's another important fact about him, and that's this. He loves to keep people enslaved to sin. He wants to deceive us, and then once he gets us into sin, he wants to keep us there, right? He's greedy. He doesn't want to let us go. He wants to keep us enslaved. Look back at our passage in Matthew 2, going to verse 16. It says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, Excuse me. according to the time when he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. You know, if you were just to go on to the streets and talk to people and ask about a story in the Bible when a crazed leader had all of the baby boys killed to make sure that his reign stayed in place, which story do you think they're going to think of? Probably Exodus, right? It's what the Pharaoh did in Exodus. And his, the people that he had, God's 
first spiritual son, right, Israel, they were Egypt's slaves. And Pharaoh was terrified that they would grow too powerful and might one day try to overthrow him. So what does he do? He kills all the baby boys. He says, so all the, the, um, the soldiers go and find the women that are giving birth, and if it's a girl, you can let it live, and if it's a boy, you throw it into the Nile River. And so many of these baby boys were killed. Why? So that the Israelite people would stay slaves. I thought this was a cool finding that Alex found. He said, the Pharaoh of Egypt wore a royal diadem that supposedly imbued him with power from the gods. And there on the very middle of the royal diadem was one of the gods in the shape of a, can you guess it? Serpent. The serpent Pharaoh wore was a sign of his sovereign power and authority. He wanted to keep those Israelite people enslaved. And this is exactly what Satan still wants to do with us today. It's even what Herod was trying to do. Satan, this is something very interesting about Satan. He might change his method, but he doesn't really change his tactics, does he? In Egypt, in the Exodus, he had all the baby boys killed. Now here in Bethlehem, in this um, area surrounding it, he had all the baby boys two years and under killed. What does Satan still do to this very day? He kills the children. We don't like to talk about this in America enough, do we? Do you know that in America, over one million reported abortions happen a year? That many babies are killed. And that's only the reported ones. Why? Why did Satan want to kill all those baby boys in Egypt in the Exodus? Why did he want to kill all these baby boys here in Um, Bethlehem, why does he want to kill so many babies now across our entire world? Because each one of those children could be the next person to raise up an army for God. And Satan is terrified of that. I just want you to know this. Our enemy hates us. And he hates the idea of God getting just one more. And so he wants to kill them. We've got to stop looking at abortion. We, we have so many talks. We have so many laws that try to get in place, and sometimes even good ones, right? But we keep looking at the problem, the key problem of abortion as a political matter. Is that it? No. It's a spiritual matter. It's caused by our enemy because he wants to bring death. Satan is still bringing that kind of death. He wants to keep us enslaved to sin. And he was using Pharaoh to keep the Israelites enslaved. He was using Herod to kill those baby boys to try to prevent the Messiah from being born. And he's killing babies today to try to prevent another revival from coming. His deception is still happening. But once again, is God surprised by this? Was he surprised in the Exodus story when these babies were killed? Was he surprised in Bethlehem? No. In fact, in Isaiah, he talks about this. He talks about that he looked to the old Exodus, which led to a saving of his people, but it wasn't the ultimate saving. So he gave a future prophecy of a second Exodus that's going to be even better. He says, was it not you, uh, Isaiah talking to God, who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. 
God was promising that eventually there's going to be another exodus and this one would be final and perfect. His people wouldn't go back into slavery again. They wouldn't go back after their old way of life like Gomer did. Eventually, this Savior would lead them home to be with Him forever. And that hero is the son that God called out of Egypt the second time. It's not Moses. It's not Israel. It's Jesus. It leads us to that next point. Jesus is the deliverer who frees us from the bondage of sin and Satan. It's no other biblical hero. We need to look at these other people as examples, yes. But they're not our heroes. Jesus is the one who frees us. Don't forget this. Before you were a Christian, the Bible says that we were slaves to sin. We are bonded to it. We're chained to it. We can't escape it no matter how hard we would try. And the only way to escape it is through Jesus. He sets us free. And as His Word says, whoever is free in Him is free indeed. We said at the beginning of this that Jesus is the serpent slayer. That prophecy said at the start that Jesus, that there would someone come one day that would crush the head of the serpent. And we know that that was Jesus bringing that defeat when He died on the cross and rose from the dead. But I want to encourage you with something else as well. We know that Jesus had that power and He defeated Satan. But we want to know something that's incredible. The Bible says that He gives us the power to crush the serpent's head in our own life. We sit here and we think, Pastor, and, and, and I'm speaking this to myself too, so when I say Pastor, I'm just talking to, Pat, to Alex, my pastor too, so we're all saying this together. Pastor, I don't know if I can do that. My life has been hard. There's so many deceptions that I still give into. I know my heart. I know this is hard. Are you saying that I can actually do this? Well, church, I want to encourage you with God's own words from Romans chapter 16. I want you to read this. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under whose feet? Did you hear this? Your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Listen, is it because of our power that Satan gets crushed? No. But by using Jesus, by giving our lives to Him, by making Him the Lord and Master of our lives, He gives us the power to defeat the enemy. We don't have to be afraid. I don't have to look at Satan's deception and go, I'm too afraid, I'm too weak, because on my own, sure. But are we on our own, Christian? No. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you in every moment of your life. And He gives us the power to crush the head of the serpent. To look at him and say, as has become kind of a, 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 almost a joke, you can even get a t-shirt, but not today, Satan. I'm not going to listen to you today. Through the power of Jesus, we can find that freedom. And it's only because of Jesus. So church, that is who Jesus is. He's the hero of the Bible. He's the serpent slayer who was called out of Egypt to die on our behalf, to put our debt nailed to His cross to give us deliverance and freedom from sin. Do you know Him today? Are you still bonded and enslaved to that sin. May today be that day of salvation. 
I hope that today you've not heard just the power of our enemy, but you've heard of the triumph of the hero. You've heard that Jesus is the victor, and His victory can be yours. Christian, are you struggling with the temptations? Are you struggling with the deception? Have you found your place in even a state of depression because though you know that Christ has victory in your life, you keep giving in and listening to Satan's deceptions? Know that there's hope. Know that there's forgiveness. Read the Old Testament. If God kept forgiving Israel, (laughs) He'll forgive you. If He told Hosea to forgive Gomer, He'll forgive us too. There's a great joy in that, isn't there? So whatever you need to get out of... Settled in your heart today as we go into this time of invitation in a moment. Whether you come and pray with me or at the altar or do it there at your seat, get it settled with God today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that though we have a powerful enemy, he is nothing compared to our hero. God, we thank you that you claimed the victory on the cross that You rose from the grave to show that You have power over life and victory over death. And You offer that victory to us. God, I pray that if there's anyone in here this morning who has not placed their faith in You to find Your forgiveness and salvation, that they're still enslaved to the sin and deception of the serpent. God, that they would know that You are there waiting with open arms to accept them today. That Your love and forgiveness is available to them. God, for those of us who are Christians this morning who might find ourselves distraught knowing that we keep giving in to Satan's deceptions, God may be thinking and wondering the question that does God even still love me? Can He still use me? God, may we be encouraged that Your Word says that through Your power You give us the strength to crush the serpent through the power of Jesus. God, I pray that You would work in all of our hearts this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.